0: Have a seat as we continue in our service. Now we want to give our time to our pastor, Pastor Terrence, who is going to lead us now with a time in the Word. Amen. So get excited for this. Get excited to learn more about who he is and how we can grow as one church. Amen. Amen. Good morning, family. Good morning. That was that was pretty good, right? What do you guys think about that? Good morning, family. Good morning. Okay, that's 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 excellent. Hey, as we were singing uh, Waymaker. I was reminded of myself uh, literally in my living room singing Waymaker um, believing that God would bless my wife and I with a child and believing that God had spoke to me and her saying that he would yet we hadn't saw the fruit of that and just the times of singing that he's a way maker. And the last time that I was in my house singing that, worshiping, was when we had began to work to make a nursery because my wife was pregnant. And just singing like, man, that is who you are. He is a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper. He's the light in the darkness. Our God, that is who he is. And it just reminded me of that as we were worshiping right now, just the moments of what God has done, the fact that I am even here standing in this space before you is another reminder that God is a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. That is who he is. And I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know uh, what weights you carry as you're here, but I know that God is a miracle worker. I know that He is a way maker. And I want to encourage you this morning that our God is able. He is big enough. He is strong enough. He has the power to keep and sustain us and to see us through whatever trials and tribulations might come our way. I don't know what you're facing. This has nothing to do with what I'm talking about this morning. I just want you to see me, to look into your faces, and to say that, God's able. Amen? Okay, let's pray and then we'll jump into our time this morning. Father, we are thankful that we get to call you Father. We recognize the price that you paid for us to be able to do so. And for that, we say thank you. God, we thank you that you love us the way you do. And I pray that today, before we part, that everyone here under the sound of my voice, those who are watching online would embrace the reality of your tremendous love for us. That by the close of this service, we would all embrace the reality that you love us tremendously, unconditionally. And it's your love and your love alone that will satisfy. So help us, Lord, this morning Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive, to understand what you say this morning. And I pray against anything that the enemy would do to keep us from receiving that word. Lord, let your word go forth and you've promised that it will not return void. So we trust you to do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians this morning. Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're going. And I want to try to pull some things all together. So, week one, I basically shared that God was doing a new thing, He was up to something new here. Week two, I said that this whole entire church, the body, the people, the community, was under construction that we needed to build on a solid foundation, which we said was the word of God with Jesus as our cornerstone. Week three, we said, then we began to lay those stones, the foundational stones. And the first stone we laid was the father. We said that the father makes us a family. Then following that, we said the son, the son makes us servants yeah yeah you got notes or something to go ahead and use your cheat sheet if you need it then after that we said the holy spirit empowers us to be missionaries to live on mission and we'll do this so look when you hear me talking about this stuff over and over and over again you'll see why until i feel like you've got it down and you're ready to come teach it i'll just keep talking about it a whole bunch all right Then last week, what I did was I said, those three stones are down. The foundation has been laid. But what we need to do is we jumped all the way ahead to say, here's what it's going to look like. And we shared the vision of what God had called us to do here in this place. Well, what I want to do this morning is remind you that our ultimate call is not to ministry, but to intimacy. I know that you are excited about the opportunity to run after this vision and to see all that God's going to do in and through this space. And I'm excited along with you. But I want to remind you that our ultimate call in life, no matter who you are, what God has called you to, the greatest call on your life is not to some service, not to some project, not to anything that you can produce or do, but to your intimacy with the Lord God Himself. The greatest call on your life is that you would know Him and that everything that you do would come from overflow, from time spent and relationship with Him. That your intimacy with the God would so impact you that it would almost force you to go out and do whatever he's called or created you to do. But not abandoning the intimate relationship that he's invited us into. You can see even in the scriptures, Jesus, when he calls his disciples initially, it's that they would be with him and he would send them out to preach. Their ultimate call was that they would be With him. And then he would send them out to preach. Folks, it's the same for us today. Our greatest call is not to ministry, but to... It's okay, we do it again. Our greatest call is not to ministry, but to... Absolutely. Intimacy. That's our great call. Because it is so easy to miss it. Stand here as your pastor. I will confess. It's so easy to see God at work and to run in that lane and miss him. To leave God on the back burner as you're pursuing The things of God, the blessings of God, the work of God, the gifts of God, whatever it might be so easy for us to get caught up in what's in front of us, even when it's God, that we run after those things and we miss the giver of the gifts for his toys, for his things, for his work in the world. And I want to make sure that as we've laid a foundation and we've talked about our stones and we've shared this big vision, that we don't forget that all of that is fulfilled as a result of our intimacy with God. So I want us to see that today. And my prayer is actually what Paul prayed for the believers in Ephesus. I want us to see that if you turn with me to the book of Ephesians, we're going to start in chapter 3. We're in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Ephesians 3, 14. Good morning to those of you who are watching online. We're in Ephesians 3, 14. Y'all all right this morning? Is it too shady for you guys? Is that what it is? We need it to be at 108 again. Is that what we mean? We like 108 temperatures. Ephesians chapter 3. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now, hard for us to move forward when he says for this reason. Because we say, Paul, we don't know what your reason is. We don't, we're not sure what you're talking about. So we're going to jump back. We don't always jump back. I tell you sometimes to go and read it for more context, but we're going to jump back this morning to Ephesians chapter three, starting in verse one, Ephesians three, one. And Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, I don't know if you're seeing it, but he's giving us another reason. We're like, Paul, how can we start where we want to start? Because you keep giving us previous reasons. I cannot cover all of this in one Sunday morning, but I would like to at least give you more context. So let's jump back to chapter 2. Now we're in Ephesians chapter 2, and I hope we don't end up in one, because then we'll just be reading a lot of scriptures this morning. But we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. I'd like for you to lock in with me this morning, because we got a good amount of reading, but I really want you to grasp what's happening here. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Ephesians says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. A mouthful. Soon we will walk through this a little bit. Uh, more in detail, but I want to catch us up to where we were in 3.14. But Paul is saying, he's asking a question to the Ephesians like I would ask you. Does anybody remember when they were dead? It's kind of hard, right? It's like a weird, what do you mean when I was dead? I'm alive. He's talking about spiritually. And he's talking to people and he's saying, do you remember when you were spiritually dead and you were stuck in your transgressions and in your sins in which you used to live We used to live that way. Some of us might still do. He says, when you follow the ways of the world. Anybody remember when you followed the ways of the world? Okay, now we're getting somewhere. And he says, when you follow the ways of the world, look, you were following the ruler of the kingdom of the air. There's a king who rules in the air. And he's the spirit who is now at work in the hearts of those who are disobedient. There's people who care nothing about what we're doing this morning. They could absolutely care less. And Paul says, hey, do you remember when you were there? Remember when you didn't come to church? Remember when you didn't want to hear the word of God? You didn't want anything to do with God? Does anybody remember when they were dead? He's saying to them, do you remember when you were dead? In fact, you were doing what the world tells you to do. And as you were doing that, you probably didn't know it but you were being led by a ruler. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of people who refuse to believe. Folks, you have friends and family members who want nothing to do with God. Let me tell you something. The Bible is trying to communicate that there's a spirit that is keeping them in bondage to live in like the rest of the world. This is where Paul is starting with them. Verse three, he says, all of us also lived among them at one time. All of us found ourselves at this place at some time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. You did whatever your body told you to. Or you might be there now. Well, when your mind's telling you no, but your body, your body's, telling you yes it's in those moments when you give in to what your body's telling you to do over even what your mind might say he says like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath he says by nature meaning you were born into sin you had this sinful nature from day one And you were deserving of God's wrath, that God should pour out his anger on you and me. This is the condition that all of us used to live in. Verse 4 says, but, here's the contrast to all of that. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Don't know if you've ever been to a cemetery, but if you have, tell me what you can do to bring that dead person back to life. It's nothing you can do. And while physically weren't, we weren't dead, Paul is saying that all of us used to be dead Spiritually. And there's nothing that you can do to bring a dead person back to life. And he says that grace, God's great love, has made it possible that God is at work in the world bringing dead people back to life. He's made them alive and he's seated them in the heavens with Christ Jesus. Why? Because of his great love. Now, I don't know if you embrace the fact that you once were dead, but if you remember If you think back and you know when you didn't care about this, I think about a time when I would never even show up here, let alone be the one teaching. So when I think about this, I know that I'm here for no other reason than his great love. Not anything that I have done or you have done, but his grace. Verse six, he says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the realm with him in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. Seven, in order that, In the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God wants to be able to show off a little bit. He wants to be able to point to you and I to show how incredible he is. His grace, his mercy, his love, his kindness, his forgiveness. He wants to be able to show that off eventually. And he's going to point to us to do that. Verse 80 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. You cannot earn salvation, family. There's nothing you can do. You can't be good enough. You can't work hard enough to earn acceptance, forgiveness, love of God. It is a gift that he gives us. Here's why. Verse nine, not by work so that no one can boast. No one's going to be able to point to anything that they've ever done to be accepted or received by God. We're just walking through what Paul has been covering so far. Verse 10, he says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God created you, had a purpose, something he wanted you to accomplish. And when he saves you, he puts you back on track to do the work, but it's after the intimate relationship that we are then out to do whatever he's created us to do. Then it's going to get heavy for us. I'm going to blaze through this faster because we will spend a lot of time on this next section. So I'm just going to read through it. He says, therefore, remember. Remembrance is at the heart of worship. When you think back, when the children of Israel remembered with things like the Passover and other celebrations, they had to look back to be reminded of who God is and what he had done. And the same is true for us. When we take things like communion, what are we doing? We're looking back and being reminded of his body and his blood being broken and shed for us. And Paul here is saying, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves circumcision. He's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, the two groups that were uh, culturally, historically, whatever you want to call it, divided. He says in verse 12, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He begins to remind them that there are these two groups, Jews and Gentiles, and that these Gentiles were far away, separated, excluded. They were not citizens. They were foreigners. They were aliens. They were separated. They didn't have any hope like the people who were citizens had. Verse 14, he says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one. That's where it gets so heavy. He begins to talk about, we'll spend so much time here in the future. He says, you've made the two groups one and had destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. What? Can we just let that sink in for a second? God was at work taking Jews and Gentiles, people who had never gotten along, could never do life together. And he doesn't say that now you're going to, figure out how to play nice. He says he's making the two into one. One new humanity. That they would be one. Now, I don't know who you are, who you would think as your ultimate enemy. People who are so different, you can never get along with, separated from. But imagine God telling you that now you have to live as one with those people. This is what God is doing here. In this passage he says by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to god through the cross by which he put to death their hostility he's talking about people who historically could never get along There's so much beef, there's so much tension, there's so much hostility that they could never do life together. And here they are becoming one. This so matters to us at a time when our nation is so divided that we need to so hear God's word that whoever you might think is your ultimate enemy with all kinds of tremendous hostility that if they too have come to Christ, he's trying to make you into one. This, we've already said, is what we will fight for, what we will be about here at this church, trying to live out the reality of what this word says. That people who have barriers of division and who cannot figure out how to get along, that Jesus is our peace. He's the way that we come together to be one. Verse 17, he says, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, which Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. We've already talked about that. 21. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Don't have time to teach through all of it, but I hope that you hear what Paul has been saying so far. He's talking to people saying, hey, I know that you never got along. I know that you never felt like a citizen. You never felt embraced. You never felt like this was your home. You never felt like you can get along with these people. But guess what? Jesus died to make you guys one new humanity through his blood by one spirit to be one body, which creates one temple where God lives by his spirit. This is what Paul has been talking about so far. That's why in verse chapter three, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Paul had a special ministry to minister to those Gentiles, those outsiders, those ones who were foreigners and not citizens. God had called him to go after them, to reach them. Verse 2, he says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me. He's just saying, hey, God gave me a special call. He gave me an administration that I would live to pursue you guys. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God, God's holy apostles and prophets. Lots of words simply saying, God gave me a special call to go after those outsiders. And it's a mystery what God's up to and nobody's ever seen it or understood it because God didn't reveal it to people in the past. But he's now revealed it to me, is what Paul is saying, and other apostles and prophets. Verse six, he says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The mystery was not that God would save Gentiles. Understanding the Old Testament, you know that God had already prepared to do that. He actually told Abraham and Israel that they would be a light to the nations and that all the people would see and be drawn back to him. So from the beginning, God had already had a plan to save Gentiles. The mystery was that the Jews never thought they'd have to become together as one. Maybe God will have a separate court and to keep Hispanics and Asians and whites and blacks divided by walls that segregate us. And yes, you can come to the house of God, but do it your way over there. The thought was, we won't be one church. God will save everybody in their own special category. So this tent could be for one group and this tent could be for another one and this tent could be for another one. And we can all come together, but stay in your own tent. That was the thought and Paul is saying the mystery was that God was actually going to remove the dividing walls and make us one new humanity, not one new church, one new humanity in a way that the world has never seen before. And it's the gospel that's at work to bring that about with people who are considered insiders and those who are outsiders. He's trying to make the two into one. And Paul is saying, nobody's understood this throughout generations, and that mystery's now been revealed to me. And I have a special call to reach those outsiders. This is what God has called me to, Paul is saying, and he's pouring his heart out here. Verse four, he says, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insights into the mystery of Christ, which was made known, was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the spirit of God to the holy apostles and prophets. Verse six, he says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promises of Christ Jesus. That's The mystery, that's what's blowing people away. Wait, they're equal with us? Wait, I'm an heir set to receive and inherit everything we talked about when we start talking about the Father. He says, wait, because they call God Father, they're equal with me? Absolutely. Church, anybody who calls God Father is your sibling, And we have to figure out how to live as a family. Paul is first teaching this to them right here. This is what's blowing him away. This is why he says, for this reason. And we're almost to what we want to talk about this morning. (laughs) Verse 7, he says, I became a great servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am the least, I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authority in the heavenly realms. Oh, my goodness. Wish I had more time to stay right there. He says, God's plan uh, was to make uh, the ministration of the mystery, which in ages past was hitting. So nobody knew this in the past. He says, his intent was that now through the church, the church is us. Now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold is Is just many or various or colorful or multifaceted. This grand bigness of God's wisdom is now being revealed to the world. How? Through His church. The world gets to see God's ultimate plan when we actually live as one. Not that we gather together on Sunday morning. Not that our church is diverse. Don't get me wrong. Hell will be diverse as well. We're not pursuing diversity for the sake of diversity. We're pursuing oneness, which we are in agreement and together and on one accord with who he is, what he's done, who we are and what we are called to do. The difference it makes in our lives, what our mission is, how we live in unity together as a body, not letting the things that has historically divided us continue anymore. Because we are a new humanity under the blood of Jesus through the gospel. This is what Paul is talking about, that manifold wisdom, but check this out. God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So it's not just that the world would see and know what God's up to. It's that angels and demons would look in and say, oh my goodness, is that what God was up to? You realize the call that's on our lives as a church? We are displaying God's power, his wisdom, his authority, his love, when we actually learn to live as one. We communicate that, not just to the world, but to the angels and demons who are watching. I don't know how that makes you feel, but think about that. There's a reason why churches are as segregated and divided as they are. There is a spiritual warfare going on, and we cannot prove and show what God's up to when we remain divided. Until we learn to come together to be the new humanity, the church will never display the manifold wisdom of God. So the attack on the church is to keep us separated. As long as we do church in our own spaces, the world will never see the manifold wisdom of God. They'll see salvation, they'll understand the gospel, but they won't see the big picture. So God's purposes will not be accomplished until his church comes together to be one. Then and only then will the manifold wisdom of God be displayed, not just to the world, but to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What an incredible call on us as a church. doesn't end there. Verse 12, he says, In him and through faith in the Lord, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are your glory. Paul was in prison when he was writing this. And they knew he was suffering for the sake of trying to tell them the gospel. And he said, Don't be concerned about me. Don't worry about my sufferings. This is for your glory. I'm doing this because God has called me to live for this purpose. Because living for God, living out the call, trying to pursue this will be difficult, it will be challenging. Look, I can sit up here and give you all these kumbaya messages that we want. But the reality is, to pull this off will be tremendously difficult. It cost these apostles and prophets that they've been talking about basically cost them their lives. This is not some cute show up, encourage me on Sunday thing that God's called us to. Folks, they lost their lives pursuing this. Now try to imagine what might happen to us if we get serious about what God's business is really about. Not coming here and me entertaining you or giving you a word that you want to hear, but understanding who you are based on what he's done and the difference it makes in your lives when you understand that the world needs to see us live as one, it's going to cost you something. It costs Jesus something. It costs his apostles something and it will cost you and I something as well. There will be tremendous sacrifice. There will be loss. There will be hurt. There will be pain. It takes tremendous humility and power from the Holy spirit. If we're ever going to see it, it's not a cute thing. It's not a bumper sticker theme. It's not on your coffee cup. It's something that will cost you your life. You will lose friends. Your family members, your coworkers will not agree with the oneness that we will pursue here. You'll no longer fit into those circles. You'll probably get booted out. It will cost you. And this is what Paul is trying to make clear, because this is what God is up to in the world through his church. Now, we get to what we want to talk about this morning. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14, Paul says, For this reason, what's he talking about? Everything that we just covered. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now, kneeling is not a typical traditional way of praying in this culture. Traditionally, you would stand up and look to God and pray to Him this way. So, what you're seeing right here, the fact that He's kneeling tells us what? Humility, surrender. He's totally submitted. To what God's up to. He says, for this reason, everything we just talked about, I'm getting on my knees and surrendering to what you're up to. I bow my knee before the Father. Look at the way he's communicating to God. Remember, traditionally, uh, Israel, people of God, children of God, disciples, whatever you want to call them, they don't refer to God as Father. Jesus is introduces this new theme, this new idea, and now Paul has embraced it. And he says, I bow my knee before the Father whom, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That ought to make you laugh. What's the passage saying? It's telling us that the Father makes us a family. <laughs> he says, I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name patira is the greek word for father patira era is the word for family the word family comes from the greek word for father he's making a play on words here and he's trying to communicate that with no father you have no family now that's hard for us to embrace because sometimes we come from backgrounds where our fathers wasn't there. But he was there at some point. Otherwise, there would be no family. (laughs) There was a father somewhere in the story because the father is where you get the idea of a seed from. And that seed has to be planted. It goes all the way back to Genesis when God begins to talk about the life of a thing, being in the seed. We're not going to go there. But what I want you to understand is this is what he's saying to us. There is no family without a father. The Father is what makes you and I a family. We've already spent weeks talking about that, so I'm going to keep moving. He says, everybody gets their name from the Father. Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. Uh-oh. Remember that dunamis word? We talked about the Father. We talked about the Son. We talked about the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, it says that when the Spirit comes, he will give you Power, and you will be my witnesses. The same word, dunamis, where we get our English word dynamite. He says the Holy Spirit will come and give you power through his spirit in your inner being. So, so far he's talked about the Father. Now he's talked about the Spirit. Can anybody guess where we're going next? He says the Father makes us a family. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with Power through his spirit in your inner being. Here's the purpose: so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The Father's gonna make us a family, the Spirit, He's praying that He would give us power to give us the strength on the inner inside that we might be able to grasp and let Christ come make his home here to dwell in. To dwell means to abide, to make a home. He's saying the Spirit has to give us the power to let Jesus come in and make his home in our hearts. Now, you've had people over your home before, and you might have even said these words, make yourself at home. But if they start to go in your bedroom, maybe in your refrigerator, maybe certain things like, hey, 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 hey. When I said make yourself at home, I meant, you know, the living room, the couch, maybe the TV or a magazine. I did not mean make yourself at home. And what the passage is saying is we want Jesus to dwell here, to make himself at home where there's no uh, boundaries, where he's off limits. What would make Jesus so comfortable in our lives that he can go into every area of our lives? What area have you told Jesus he's not, he can make himself at home, but don't go there? Because Paul is saying the spirit has to give us the strength to let Jesus come in and dwell there. Make himself at home. Where he can walk around as if your life is his. And he can have his way in your world. That's what the, That's why we need the spirit's power. Because otherwise we'll be telling Jesus, stay in the living room. We won't give him access into some of those other places without the power from the Holy Spirit. He says, uh, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Rooted and established. He's talking about the roots that trees need that they would go deep into the soil and the roots are the things that draw the water and the nourishment for these trees. He's saying we have to have roots that go deep into the love of God, that wrap themselves around rocks, that establish us and give us a solid foundation. We've already talked about these things, the solid foundation, the father, the power of the spirit, the son. I want us to see that the love is the last component that we have to have. That roots have to go so deep into his love that they absorb the nutrients from his love that gives us the strength and the foundation that we need to be the people of God he's called us to be. Without that love, that tree will fall. It will not be rooted or it won't have been established in a way to survive. We have to be rooted and established in his love. And then he says, may you have the power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What? I want your roots to go deep into the love of God that you might be able to grasp or take hold of or seize how wide and how long and how high and how deep the love of Christ truly is that you might know this love that surpasses knowledge. He's saying, I want you to know the love, but you'll never be able to fully grasp it. You'll you'll be able to begin to have an idea of how much he loves you, but you'll never fully comprehend it because it surpasses knowledge. And he's not saying that you would know in your mind because it's easy, as I've been sitting up here talking for a while, reading a lot of scriptures, it's easy for your mind to drift. And Paul knows it too. And he's saying to us as a family that if we're not rooted and grounded in him, we will think we know and you will sit there comfortably, disengaged, because you have not been captivated by this love. You will say, you know, pastor, I've read this passage. Some of you have studied this passage. Some of you have taught this passage. Yet he's not talking about the type of knowledge you grasp in your head. He's saying this type of knowledge is only a knowledge that can be experienced. You have to have encountered this love. I cannot preach it to you. You can't read about it. You can't study about it. There's nothing you can do except have that love watch over you. Have your roots go deep into the ground soil of his love and draw nourishment from it. Without it, you won't be able to survive. And I know you think you know, but you don't know. But I want us to know. So as we prepare to close I now need two volunteers. I will, Nick. Okay, all right. Lisa, Nick, Lisa. Let's give them a round of applause. Come on now, you don't need your Bible. You don't need your Bible. Okay, Lisa, here's what I want you to do. Take Nick into the church and take him through the far Left doors, all the way through the back. And then come right back. Sound good? All right, let's give them a round of applause, you guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, y'all ready? Let's get to work. All right, don't give it away. Just, okay, we got it. All right, all right. Because the mics are on, he can still hear, so... This is what I grew up drinking. Anybody know what I'm making? Ah, uh, yeah. This is um this is like black aid for black folks, you know? Uh oh, that's good? Is that too much? I think that's too much, huh? What do you think? It's good? Okay. All right, gotta hide this because I don't want him to to know. So you thought you knew? No, 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 don't let him come, I said just her. Stop him, stop him, stop him, stop him. You can maybe go a little faster maybe, you know, like a little urgency. That's good. Oh, all of it. Caleb said all of it. Huh? Why would I do that? That'd be crazy. Okay, Misa, I need you to get him. Yeah. Just, y'all, just bring him back. It's over. I just don't want him to see. You know, you guys get it. I mean, I don't know what you want me to do. Because see, he's gonna think he knows. He's gonna think he knows just like we all do. Okay, and let's give Nick a round of applause, everybody. Nick, we know that you look at this color and you might think you know what flavor it is, but we're, we know that you don't know. So all we want you to do, taste it, see if you can guess the flavor. Tell us what you think. after. Take as many sips, drinks, whatever you want. But well, we want to see if you can figure out what flavor this is. Sound good? Should I be concerned we're drinking Kool-Aid in the mass gathering? Uh, you can be. Fruit punch? No, another. give you another chance. Give you three chances. Cherry? No. Nope. One more chance. It's Kool-Aid that's a little sugary. All right, all right, let's give him a round of applause. Thank you. You're done. You can enjoy your drink. Family, here's what I want you to know. You can come to church every Sunday and sit and listen and watch and think you know, but until you experience for yourself, you have no idea. This was filled with sugar, but you looked and you listened, and you thought you knew. And the Bible is saying that's the error. It's talking about a knowledge that you do not gain through your eyes or ears or knowledge. It is one that can only come through experience. The Bible here tells us that may you have the power together with all the Lord's holy people, not just Nick. Everybody, he wants to grasp this how wide, how long, how high, how deep the love of Christ is, and to know the love that surpasses knowledge. It surpasses knowledge. It's the Greek word, gnosko, but you don't care about that. But here's why you need to know because there's two words and one means the knowledge that you obtain by sitting there watching and you think you know and one can only be gathered by experience you see in our body nick is the only one who actually knew what this tastes like and the bible tells us that we are to taste and see that the lord is good about his love and his kindness and his mercy and it's not something that you sit and watch and think you understand it's not something you gain in bible study it's something that you have to experience in the same way that we can all say we know our president trump and the truth is most of us have never met him we do the same with Jesus. Yes, I know him. I know all about his love. I grew up in Sunday school. I went to seminary. I X, Y, Z. Yes, that's a different type of knowledge. He wants us to have the knowledge that surpasses knowledge. The one that only comes from experience. And if you have not had your roots go deep down into the soil of his love, you have no idea what flavor this is. You have no idea what it tastes like. He wants us to understand how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love really is, though we'll never truly be able to understand it. He's inviting us, family, to go from head knowledge to an experience. Paul gets on his knees and he prays. He sees that God in the gospel is making two into one. He's able to see that the church is going to display the manifold wisdom. He knows that we are going to have a vision and all this stuff that we want to do. But if we have not been rooted and grounded in his love, through experience, we will not be able to survive. You have got to taste and see for yourselves you have got to taste and see for yourselves that's why like Paul I invite our worship team that's why like Paul as I begin to think back and I remember who I was and where I was and what I used to do. It was so far removed from anything that you would experience here. Here's what happened. I encountered the love of God and it has changed my life from the inside out. I have had a taste of his goodness of his love, of his mercy, of his kindness, of his forgiveness. And I, like Paul, have decided to give my life to this because that's what it's called me to. I am inviting you to join me. But if you have not encountered that type of love, you will not make it. So I invite you this morning, if you are here and you have never truly experienced the love of God. If you are on this stage and you have been leading worship your whole life, Moses, don't let's point you out, but everybody, it is easy to be in ministry. I have led pastors to Christ. It doesn't matter what you know. If you have not Experienced it. So if you are up here or if you are down there and you know you've maybe you've been in church but you've never encountered that type of love, today is your day because you've been continuing to come or serve simply because you want to know it. You want to experience it. I want to invite you, give you an opportunity to stand right now where you are. If you know you've never experienced the overwhelming. Love of God in your life that melts your heart. Today is your day. You don't have to stand. Standing's not going to do it. If that's you, would you tell God right now, wherever you are, that you want to know that love? The Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that He gave His Son. That if anybody here Would believe that message, you're invited in to taste and see for yourself. Not religion, not pretending, not performing a true relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, your Creator, your Savior. That's what I'm inviting you to this morning. If you know, This is going to be your home as a church. Then Nadine is over here. You can just see her after service, sign up. I'll contact you as we prepare to start our first membership class. See her and we'll go from there. But today's really about those of you who haven't encountered his love. I know there are many of you out there just going through the motions, but never truly tasting for yourself. Thinking you know from the seats, but never encountering any day, any time, any moment you're ready, just let him know. And he'll be there to welcome you in, amen.